Have you ever noticed uh, how many times people say the words have to? How many times you say those words? Uh, things like, uh, well, I have to go to work tomorrow. Or uh, I have to uh, pay my taxes. Or I have to go obey the speed limit. Or I have to visit my parents. Or I have to finish college. Or I have to uh, take my kids to the park on Saturday. Or I have to lose some weight. Or I have to clean the house. Now, I want to pose a philosophical question here. But the truth is, you don't have to do any of those things. Really. You really don't have to, do you? I mean, you don't have to do any of the things I mentioned. Uh, but one small hitch is this. Is you don't have to do it, but the negative consequences of not doing those things may cause some problems. I mean, if you don't pay your taxes, most likely you'll probably get a visit from the IRS. At least a call. And you may end up in jail. If you, if, if you don't obey the speed limits, you may get a ticket. If you don't, uh, you know, finish college... There's consequences of that. You may not get the job you want. If you don't uh, clean your house, you may uh, not be able to find it after a while. Um, The truth is, we live in a world where we do everything because we choose to do it. So often we have this victim mentality in our world today that we often want to blame other people. Well, I have to do it because... We just don't want to take responsibility for our actions. This morning I had to raise that question to start off with because of so often the problem we have is we are constantly making decisions between doing things. It's a part of life. For instance, this afternoon, um, right after church, many of you, maybe not right after this service, but you'll have a break and some of you will do it, you'll go to lunch. And you'll probably, many of you will go to a restaurant uh, in, in this area, and let's say you go over and uh, you go to where my son works. He's a server at Red Lobster. And you go there, and, and, and what will the server ask you when you get there? Will he say, oh, are you having the whole menu today, sir? No, that's not going to be the answer. That could be a choice, though, right? You're having the whole menu. Would there be consequences of having the whole menu? There would be financial consequences. I don't know how much that would be. A lot. There would be um, dietary and health issues related to gorging yourself. I don't know if it's possible. No, what the, what, what the server is going to say to you today when you go to a restaurant is this, can I take your order? And because of that question, you're going to have to make some choices, some choices amongst some things that you want to have and things that you don't want to have. We are constantly having to make choices in our world today. Now, we began this series two or three weeks ago talking about this fact that the Bible says in, in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in John 8, 44, that Satan is a liar. And when he lies, he is in his, he's in his realm. That's where he's at. He's, he's the father of lies. That's just who he is. And what Satan is constantly doing to us in the spiritual battle that we have going on in our lives, he's whispering in our ear and he's saying, you can do it all. You can do it all. You can have it all. You don't, have to, you don't have to make choices. Do it all. Have it all. And for some strange reason in our world today, because of that, we have gotten to a mentality where we believe that lie. It's a lie that we, we may not rationally believe that, but we try to live a life doing it all, trying it all, and, and doing everything that we can do. And, and then Satan will say, well, you can handle it all too. And we believe that. We believe we can handle it all. 
Scripture says, you know, and, and some people, then we'll even throw it upon Scripture. We'll say things like, well, Scripture says that God will never give us more than we can handle. Isn't that right? You know the Scripture never says that? Some of you are going, I've always heard that. No, no Scripture says this. In, in the 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is what it says that we twist around to say that. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that so you can stand up under it. In fact, I believe, looking at the Bible and looking at the world, that God often allows us to have a lot more on our plate than we can handle. So we'll learn something. We'll learn dependence upon him and his plan and his way. No, God doesn't ever say, I'm not going to put, allow you to have more. If you want to be stupid and, and make too many choices and have too many things going on in your life, guess what? You will pay the price. So we have to understand that as well. Now, let me ask you this morning. This is honesty time. This is raising your hand time, okay? You're going like, oh, boy, you're so excited, okay? Um, how many of you would honestly say that at least occasionally, at least occasionally you were overwhelmed? Okay, thank you. Hold your hands up. Don't put them down yet. How many of you say you're often stressed? How many of you say you don't have enough time of the day to get everything done? How many say simply you have too much to do? Okay, you lower your hands. Okay, thank you. I was just to make sure that this sermon was going to hit somebody today. Obviously, the most of you, this will apply to in big ways, because this is what we're going to talk about, this lie that Satan tells us that we have believed, that we've bought into, that I can do it all, I can have it all, I can just, you know, just, just do it all, and it's going to be all right. The, the insane thing is this, is some of us today, what we need is a wake-up call. <laughs> now, this is not a great way to start a sermon, but I just got to be honest with you. Truly, some of you, you, you will hear this today and you'll go, yeah, pastor, I really believe that. And by Thursday, you will have forgotten everything I've talked about, everything the scripture says, and you just go on with your insane lifestyle. You will. Because you've gotten into this habit of doing things, and habits are not broken in three or four days. For most of us, to make the changes we need to make, it needs to be radical change. We're going to talk about that at the end of the day. Some radical changes in how we approach the decision-making and how many things we do and how many things we don't do in our lives. Because we can't do it all. See, something's wrong with the picture of this us when we raised our hands and saying we're often overwhelmed because, you know, the majority of people in this room uh, call, them, call ourselves What? Americans, Christians. Okay, thank you. Christians. I don't know, Peorians, I don't know, Illinoisans. Or as somebody from Washington once told me, you're a metamoron. So uh, <clears throat> now we have Washingtonians and wa metamorons in the same church, you know, and East Peorians and all of whatever we happen to be. Occasionally, people that speak correctly, like me, Virginians. And. Um, and other folks. But the thing is, is that no, we call ourselves Christians. And for us as Christians to constantly say, you know, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed out constantly, it's just, that's just the way I live my life. There's something wrong with that picture. Because as I read scripture, it says clearly to me, and I believe it'll say to you as well, if you know scripture, that that is not the way God wants us to live our lives. I mean, it's going to happen occasionally, but that's not the center focus of our life because it says in Matthew 11, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Does that sound like a stretched out, stressed out lifestyle? No, it says, Jesus says, come to me, those of you who call yourselves believers, Christians, and what I'll do is I'll begin to give you the rest you need in your life, the focus in your life, and what you need. Some of you don't even know what rest is. You know why? Because when you rest, you feel guilty, don't you? Because you're not being productive. And for some strange reason, you think that's godly. You've convinced yourself of that because culture says that. And Satan's whispering here, you've got to be busy, always busy. Because if you're not, you're a slacker. Slacker, excuse me. I couldn't hear it the last one. I knocked my microphone off. And so the society says that. And in society, we have no respect for the Sabbath. We don't have respect for rest. We feel guilty when we do it. But go back to the verse. You know what it says? The last part of the verse says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Then it says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just your body, but your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that sound like a mandate to go crazy and be crazy, you know, have this insane schedule and be stressed and freaked out all the time? No. What's the word yoke in there, by the way? I mean, that's an important word, really, in that whole little phrase right there. What's a yoke? It's not the part of an egg, by the way, okay? A yoke is talking about here. It says, take my yoke upon me. It's an important word. It's the key phrase. It's the key word in the whole passage right there. You know what a yoke is? And, and when he, Jesus was talking about it, it's like you have two oxen walking side by side. And there's this kind of wooden thing that kind of binds them together. And it causes a couple of things to happen by having a yoke upon them. The yoke, number one, it causes them to go in the same direction. But you know something else it also does? It causes the oxen to go at the same pace. Not only direction, but pace. Jesus is saying, take his yoke upon, you, upon us. And as we do so, we not only go in Jesus' direction, but we go at the pace that he meant us to go. And he says, if we do that, guess what will happen? We will find rest for our souls. We won't be constantly stressed, constantly overwhelmed, constantly saying, I have too many things to do. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do when you have too many things to do in life? What do you do when you have too many things to do? That's what we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible say about what do we do when we have too many things to do and we don't know how to make choices? Well, let me give you the three things that I believe the Scripture tells us very clearly. Very clearly. The first thing, and I'm only going to share this, just talk about this very briefly because in a couple of weeks I'm going to talk about this expansively. But the first thing is this. If you, have, if you feel like you have too many things to do, you need to understand that some things need to be shared. Some things need to be shared. When you say, I can't handle it all, guess what? You were not meant to handle it all. One of the things that I've understood over the years in ministry and understood in life is this, is that we need people to help us. We need people to, to, to fill in the gaps. One of the things when, when, when we look for staff here and we look for volunteers in key areas, we look for people who, who can fill in gaps, who are good at certain things that, that I may not be good at or somebody else is not good at, but they can fill in the gaps. In business, it's what you look for, is people to fill in the gaps. God will often allow things into your life that you're supposed to be doing, but you need to share them with others so we can learn to work together. 
I learned, love the story in the Old Testament uh, about the story of Moses. And Moses was a guy who, man, he, he became so responsible. He had like a, a bunch of people to try to handle the deal with. And they were trying to do all the things. And when he was small, you know, when a, when a, I found that the church was real easy uh, for me personally when we had about, uh, when I was in a church of about, you know, 100 people. One is me problems. One is me issues. The more it became an issue, the more I have to share it. You know, no longer do, am I the primary person. This is getting kind of weird for me, too. Because for years I was in smaller churches, and all of a sudden I'm not the first person that people come to sometimes. And I'm going, they don't love me anymore. <laughs> well, no, it's great because some, you know, somebody comes into the office and they have a counseling issue, they might not go come to me. They may call, go to Chris or to Dan or to Nate or somebody else, and they'll talk to them. Because some things have to be shared. Because in the Old Testament, Moses, Moses had gotten so overwhelmed with life that he has a, a conversation with his father-in-law named Jethro. I thought it was a cool name. Jethro. And Jethro tells him, you know, he must have had a good, a good relationship with his father-in-law because his father-in-law was straightforward with him. He basically says, Moses, you are stupid. This is not what he said exactly, but it's kind of what he says. He says this in Exodus 18, 17, and 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you were doing is not good. And what he was doing was he was trying to take care of every issue there was with all these thousands and a million people. Every dispute between people he was trying to negotiate, every problem he was trying to deal with. And his father-in-law says, what you were doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot... Handle it alone. May I say to many of you, what you're doing is not good. If you think you have to do it all. You know, what people consider normal today is not good. You're only going to wear yourselves out. You can't handle it alone. The chances are the problem with many of you is similar to the problem I have sometimes. I'm totally willing to help others, but sometimes I don't know how to let people help me. Any of you have that issue? Well, you know, if they, you know, if I let somebody else do it, they may not do it the way I do it. Well, you, that may be true. They may not do it as well as I do it. That may be true. Sometimes they may do it better than I do it. And that's more often true. And that's hard for us personally to deal with because so often we're willing to help others, but so often we're not willing to let people help us. In our world today. Man, that's, that's one of the hardest things in life is, is, is saying, help me. And so often in life, too, one of the things that I, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks as well, is I really believe that if we don't intentionally plan time to make relationships with people, it won't happen. If we don't have what we call biblical community, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about this extensively, the thing is, is that we won't stop to do it because we'll just get so busy in life doing all the stuff of life, we won't even have anybody to go to and say, help me. Because we've never built a relationship. It's hard to go to a stranger and say, help me. I, you know, as busy and crazy as the church has grown, as we've got more staff and and, and, and as, as things become more complex and everything, my first inclination is to start paring things away, taking things off the plate. And there's only so many things I can take off the plate, but I want to tell you one thing I cannot take off the plate is building biblical community. So this year I'm actually increasing my involvement in a different way. I'm reshifting some things 
Uh, we're going to be involved. I'm going to be involved as one of the teachers, one of the speakers on a thing called Men's Fraternity. I'm going to make an ad for it today. We're going to do this fall. It's going to be a really cool thing for men here on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. But we're, we anticipate hundreds of guys showing up, dozens at least, possibly hundreds of guys showing up to, to come and to, and to learn and to share together uh, from 6 to 7.30. And then along with that, my wife and I have been asked to teach a class uh, on parenting for uh, parents, of, of, uh, parents that have young chi- children. Uh, and we're going to do that on Tuesday nights, I believe. I can't remember my schedule right now. But we're going to do that. You know, I really don't need anything else on my schedule, tell you the truth. But we believe in those two different opportunities there. I'll build relationships with guys and relationships with these couples and begin the process of, of, of you know, when people, we can help each other. We can learn from each other. Not only learn some information, but really believe that it's something that's very important. Some things need to be shared. And when we think we have too many things to do, the first thing we need to do is ask, how can I share this with somebody else? How can I share this with somebody else? Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's the first thing the Bible says. When we say we have too many things to do, ask the question, what can I share with somebody else? What can somebody else do to help me? Number two, some things need to be stopped. This is where the radical change is going to have to take place in some of your lives. I loved, I loved the two sisters in the, in the New Testament, Mary and Martha. I mean, you were talking about extreme personalities in a family. If you have two, at least two kids, at least two kids, do they have, did your two kids have extreme personalities? I mean, they're not the same. You're going like, do they come from the same family? Are they even from the same planet? I mean, sometimes you have kids that are totally... Mary and Martha is a perfect example of this. I mean, Mary was like just a laid-back, kind of carefree person. Very, and Martha was like the, you know, I've got to get it done. She had her list on the wall in her refrigerator, and, she, and she, man, she checked it off. And if it wasn't done, she just totally freaked out. Now, I'm not saying one's better than another, but Jesus said there was. So I'll just... You know, <laughs> So I'll just tell you what he had to say. It, it says this, and what happened is, is that Jesus goes to visit their house. Now, I don't know about you, if you're marrying to Martha, you approach the visit in totally different ways. Martha was, you know, and she had to make sure everything was fixed, ready to go. The meal was done, you know, all the, the you know, the, the, the table looked good, the house was clean, all the things that were going on. But Mary had a little bit different deal. And then and what happens is that Jesus comes in and Mary goes and she sits at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets ticked and she says, you sorry, no good sister. She didn't say that. That's what she thought. Get in here and help me. But then she's thinking she's going to get some help from Jesus. And Jesus looks at Martha who was in there worried about the kitchen and all the stuff. And here's Jesus, the son of God, sitting in the other room. And what does Mar- Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm not saying don't clean your house, okay? I'm not saying it's not good to have meals, but sometimes it's the focus of our life sometimes is on minutiae. Things that aren't necessarily the big picture things, the things that aren't as important here. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you know, you're only going to have me here for a while in your house. Spend some time with me. Focus your attention upon the relationship we're having here, Martha. 
like Mary's doing. It says Mary has done what? Mary has chosen. She has chosen. Once again in life, we have choices to make. And if we don't make the right choices, it's going to affect the direction of our lives. Mary made a choice. There are some things she could have done that she didn't do, and she could have done other things that she uh, chose not to do. But there, there's choices in life. Now, think for a moment this. Let me ask you a question. Hypothetical. Ask yourself this question. How would you fill in this blank? If only I had more time, I would blank. If only I had more time, I would and you fill in the blank. I would give me, some, give me some options. If I had more time, I would spend more time with my children. I'd be in a small group. I would serve in the church. I would journal. I would write a book. I would go and help coach some kids and pour their life into them. If only I had more time, I would blank. Now let me challenge that question, the validity of that question. You have time to do what you want to do. Every day, you have a choice. Every day, you know, if that's something you really, when it came to your mind right off the bat, it's something you've been thinking about when I said, if I had more time to do, I would do this, and you're not doing it, it's because you choose not to do it. Because every one of us has the exact same amount of time in every day, and every one of us needs to learn to make choices. And those choices set the direction of what we're going to do with our lives. You know, what our culture calls normal uh, in making choices is totally insane, I believe. I believe it really is. It's totally insane. I believe Jesus would come and ask, what are you doing? You know, he'd look at us like he looked at Martha and going like, you need to choose the right thing, Martha. Fill in your name. Like Mary did. Focus the attention on the relationship with me. You see, what, 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 did, what do uh, are your actions communicate that you value? Well, let me tell you what our culture's actions communicate that we value today is things, money, and possessions. There's no doubt about that. I don't even think you'll debate me on that one. Because why, why, do, we, why do we communicate? Why do we have to value that? Because we have to have certain things in life. Um, I found it interesting, going back and do research, that, um, for instance, in America, over the last uh, 50 years, the size of houses in America, how they've changed, pop up the next slide. You know that in 1950, the average square footage in America, the new home, was 983 square feet. In 1970, it was 1,500 square feet. In 1990, it was 2,080 square feet. In 2004, it was 2,349 square feet. Today, it's over 2,400 square feet, almost 2,500 square feet, is the average new home, single-family home in America. Now, that being the case means a bigger house. We live in bigger houses. We've got bigger things. Let me ask you, how does that correlate to happiness? Now, I didn't have enough, enough diagrams to th- put this out there. I'll just tell you this, this correlates nothing to happiness. Matter of fact, if you go based upon how, how many, how many uh, drugs are taken for anxiety and for all kind of issues that relate to psychological disorders, we are more messed up today than we've ever been. So if having more stuff, bigger houses, more cars, stuff like that would mean happiness, for some reason we've mess, missed the boat along the way we have to ask ourselves what does the choices we make communicate about what we value For, uh, parents you know i'm just going to let it all out here let me just tell you something what is your value what does sports on sunday communicate about your values to your kids 
Now, I'm not talking about Sunday afternoon. I'm talking about Sunday morning. We live in a world where Sunday morning is no longer a sacred time for anything. If constantly you say, oh, I'm not saying that sports aren't valuable. I love sports. I'm glad football season's here almost. I'm really happy when basketball season rolls around, college basketball season. But the issue is, is that what does that value communicate? What does the whole thing about being your kids so involved in so many activities communicate to your kids? You know that the CDC, the Center for, uh, Center for Prevention, whatever it's called, Center for the Disease Prevention and Control, something like that, um, the, the big place that talks about disease, okay, uh, in America, <laughs> CDC, um, they have done a prediction And they have a strong link between childhood obesity, type 2 diabetes, and pace of life. Super strong connection there. They say that because of the pace of life, that what it is, the choices we make about eating and behavior have changed. And that people that have more than three to four times a week eating fast food, kids particularly, will have one in three kids in America will sometime in their life develop type 2 diabetes in their life because of lifestyle changes and pace of life. Now, it's not just a physiological, it's not just a, uh, a spiritual issue, it's a physiological issue. Type 2 diabetes, by the way, is not the type where you can't help it. It's the type where you can help it through, through prevention and through the way you eat and the way you lose weight and different things like that. The thing we need to understand is the decisions that we are making is insane. We can't do it all. Satan is whispering in our ears, you can do it, you can do it. Your child needs to do this because they won't be whole if they don't do it. I just asked yourself a simple question. When you were growing up and you were young and you didn't do all the things your children do now, does that make you messed up? Oh, yeah, okay, nobody wants to answer that question. No, I'm not messed up because I didn't go, you know, I was, as soon as I got home from school, didn't go jump on, you know, and run like a crazy person. Matter of fact, I feel like more sane because of that issue. But the thing we have to understand is Satan is constantly saying to us, you can do it all, you can have it all. You need to try it all, because if you don't, you'll miss out on something. Some things we need, some things need to be stopped. And and let me just be honest with you, we talked about this earlier. Unless we slow down the pace of our life, some of us will never have a really strong spiritual a relationship with God. You know what it says? This is a verse that probably all of you know. You know what it says in Psalm 46.10? Be still and know that I am God. You uncomfortable yet? Okay, I'll give you another minute. Okay, that was 45 seconds. I don't can't stand it anymore. Uh <laughs> Is that awkward? Is silence awkward? You better believe it, especially in a public setting. But silence has become awkward in our lives. 
With the pace of life, we very rarely have times where we can just be still. We fill up all the time with something, noise, something going on in our lives. God says to us, you know, one of the choices we have to make is to be still. And he said, unless we make that choice, we probably will will miss out on the relationship with God that he wants us to have. So what do you need to do? What what do you need to drop? Um, You know, when it says, be still and know that I am God, the word, uh, the Hebrew word rapha means, uh, means this. It means to slack and it means to let it drop. The modern translation is to drop it. Drop it, whatever you're doing, so you can know that I am God. Drop it. What do you need to drop so that you can have a relationship with God, the kind of relationship that he wants us to have? That's the second thing. third thing we're going to finish up with is this. The third thing God wants us to do, if we're going to really, really understand how to deal with this whole issue of what do you do when you have too many things to do, you need to understand that everything needs to be surrendered. Everything needs to be surrendered. If you're serious about a relationship with God, about doing it God's way, everything you do in your life, your whole schedule, all the resources you have, everything you do needs to be surrendered to God. Psalm 62, 1 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Rest does not come from a vacation. Rest does not, that's only short term. Rest does not come from a newer car or a better outfit or a swimming pool in my backyard. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation, it comes from him. It comes from him alone. Uh, Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. The word cast there, the Hebrew word for cast is the word, it means to, to hurl or to throw yourself upon God. It says, just, just, just rest in him. One of the best illustrations, I've used this before, I'm going to use it again, is a story uh, many, many years ago. Back, I like it was in the 20s or 30s, 1920s or 30s. There was, this, there was this incredible guy who was considered at the time the, probably the world's greatest, true story, one of the world's greatest tightrope walkers. A guy who could, who could do incredible things. He did things that nobody else had ever heard of before. He just did insanely crazy things. And so one day he decides that he's going to do this big thing, and they had this big, you know, in papers and stuff back then, and they, all these people gathered at Niagara Falls. And some way, I don't know how they did it, above the falls, back somewhat from the falls, they stretched a rope across Niagara Falls, across the river there, on one part, the river. And this is not the whole falls, it's a long way. They stretched a rope across there very tightly, and this guy's name was Blondine. He decided what he was going to do is he was going to go across, walk on the tightrope across Niagara Falls. I mean, the water churning down. He knew he falls off. Not only is it a bad fall, but he could die really quickly. So it was a pretty risky thing. And he had crowds on both sides of the falls, and they were cheering for him. He walks across, and he walks back with the bar. And, and then he decides to do something more insane. He takes a wheelbarrow, a regular wheelbarrow. Now, I guess it had a different kind of wheel on it. I'm not really sure about the deal, but he took a wheelbarrow, and he walks out across the falls with a wheelbarrow in front of him. And people are going nuts. They're going like, wow, this is the coolest thing we've ever seen. I mean, it's like going to a NASCAR race and everybody wrecks. You know what I'm talking about. 
And he says, and he starts, he's, you know, all these people are praising him and yelling his name, Blondine, Blondine, and they're yelling and screaming, and he's going like, do you believe that I can do it again? And you're going, like, yeah, yeah, we believe we're going to do it again. And they're screaming and hollering and hooping and you know, doing all the stuff. And, and he says, I tell you what, who wants to get in a wheelbarrow and go across with me? See, what God wants us to do, what it means to cast our cares upon God is to put ourselves in the wheelbarrow. To put all of our life, all of our resources, everything in his hands. And says, say, God, I want, to, I want my schedule to reflect your values. I want what I do to reflect, I, what I do and what I don't do to reflect the things that would best help me to live life the way you want me to. And for many of us, I think, you know, you know for most of us, we need a radical change in our lives, in our schedules. We need to do some radical surgery on that schedule. We need to, we need to viciously ask ourselves, you know, hard look at the, get, take a hard look at what we're doing and ask, are these things that's really going to matter in life a year from now, five years from now, 30 minutes from now? Or... Are there things that we need to be doing, adding to our life that we're not doing? And you can't add if you don't subtract. And most of us need to start by, start by subtracting. And if, if a little tweak to our schedule would be enough, you know, you would have done it by now because you're smart people. But it's not going to be a tweak that's going to make the difference. It's probably going to have to be radical surgery. Because we were never meant to do it all. God never designed us that way. He says, come to me. All you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Yoke, you know, go with me in my yoke. Not only go in the direction that, that, you want, that you want me to go, but go at the pace that Jesus wants you to go. And he says, then you will find rest for your souls. You want to be less overwhelmed, less stressed? Number one, realize you've got to make choices. And you do it every day. And you don't have to follow the crowd like we talked about last week. You don't have to please people. You don't have to do any of those things. You need to focus on the, the, what God wants you to do. And he says, if you do those things, then you can find rest. So what would Jesus have you to do? That's the question for this week. Challenge you to sit down, look at your schedule and ask you, God, what, what kind of surgery do you need to do on a schedule? What needs the things to be ripped out of it? When these things need to be added, what can I do that's going to make a difference? And you can't just do it for one day. You've got to do it for a while to make a change in your life. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.